0: This is Omo. This is Omo. This is Omo. This is Omo.
1: This is Omo. This is Omo. This is
0: Omo. This is Omo. Is this Yoko Omo? This is Omo. This is Omo. Welcome to Omo.
2: Welcome to Omo. Chris, hey.
0: Hey, Rosie DeLoach.
2: Tell me about your wood collection.
0: Uh, I collect wood to build stuff. And also because I love collecting wood and knocking trees down and cutting them up. Um, I almost put a larch tree through my neighbor's house, which is on the historic registry. No joke. Um, Uh A while ago. And then I had to pay for the fence, but it like spun because of the ropes I had on it to pull it towards me. And it went in between their shed and the house. And uh, I just had to fix a little bit of fence <laughs> in- instead of this like $600,000 house.
2: Oh, so it's a drama filled endeavor every ounce of wood. Oh, yeah.
0: And you just you hide it. And then when you need money, you call people in Chicago and you're like, hey, you want some wood? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I do.
2: Yeah, and, I, and I've sent you some throughout nice. our friendship Thank that I've, I've come across. Uh, so we have got a special guest on today, a fellow Texan named Trevor Davis, and uh, he's a bass maker. He also does tinier instruments.
0: Uh, <laughs> you,
2: you want to call him a boat dork?
0: He is a boat dork.
2: We'll get to the bottom of that. Uh, all-around artist and a brand new dad. Congratulations! And he's going to tell us about his experience getting wood. Hi, Homo sapiens. Me and Jerry here to remind you to attend the convention for the Violent Society of America.
1: The VSA convention will be held online with the Whova app. That's W-H-O-V-A from November 11th to the 13th. Last year's virtual convention was a great success. This year is going to be even better because they worked all the kinks out.
2: (laughs) Are you a current member? The convention is free to attend. If you're not a current member, just pay your membership dues. That's $160 for a two-year membership, and you'll be able to attend the convention for free.
1: Our programming committee is working on a fantastic schedule, including presentations on instrument and bow restoration, violin design, acoustics, varnish, instrument history, and more.
2: The panels include short-form presentations, 15 to 20 minutes, and your standard long-form, which is 35 to 45, and even includes an interview with yours truly and Joe McHugh from the Ros and the Bow podcast.
1: That's a bunch of celebrities hanging out right there. I can't wait.
2: Yeah, get with it.
1: There will be evening musical performances. Also, a rare instrument exhibit that will feature a Giuseppe Guinari Phileas Andre. Also... The new instrument exhibit will showcase members' instruments and bows. Registration's open for that now.
2: (laughs) So guys, you know where to register. You've done it before. Go to vsaweb.org. Make sure you're a current member. Put it on the business expense. Just plop down that credit card. Come join us November 11th through 13th. We'll see you there.
1: I hope to see you there too.
2: Yeah. This episode of Omo is brought to you in part by Encore Orchestral Strings, the violin shop within Page's Music in Indianapolis, Indiana. Page's Music is celebrating its sesquicentennial, 150th anniversary, this year, which has been Indiana owned and operated since 1871.
0: John Riani, the manager of Encore, has been a lifelong admirer of and advocate for new making. He's a fine cellist, and he provides a trustworthy place to send one's instruments, and he gives the best hugs west of the Allegheny.
2: Aw, and while he's hugging you, this is what he says. I want to encourage you that the work that you do, instrument makers, bow makers, restorers, shop owners, it is deeply important and appreciated. The world desperately needs great art, and you are creating it, preserving it, and facilitating it.
0: Thanks,
2: John.
3: Thanks, John. Hi Trevor. Howdy. I'm a Texan now. I like that. I like I like it fits it feels good. It feels right. Howdy.
2: Now you were not always a Texan?
0: No, I'm from Vegas originally.
2: Ah, okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. Don't sound so judgy, Rosie.
2: <laughs> you know what?
0: Vegas is fine.
3: It's Austin anyways. Austin's barely Texas, but it, it is the <laughs> capital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Uh, so Trevor, Chris defines you as a hoarder of tone wood. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your stash and why many of Chris's medical problems are as a result of your stash. <laughs> well,
3: I, I, I mean, his medical problems are his own problem. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I do have a large collection of tone wood. I got, uh, probably over, I don't know, probably maybe 120, 140 sets of bass wood at the moment and then maybe 60 sets of cello wood and it really just all came from like you know it's it's hard to come by aged tone wood for bass uh you know and, and it's about a five to ten year wait for it to dry out till you can use it so so
0: buy all of it yeah well
3: yeah buy all the good stuff
0: yeah so we're talking tone wood for the noobs uh let's talk about tone wood How come we can't just cut down any... tree For base, you can sometimes, but you can't just cut down anything. What are we looking for? How does a tree need to grow? Why is it desirable? Mm.
3: Well, I want the straight split stuff, which is really... You know, when you go through dealers, it's really hard to get good split base tops. Yeah, no shit. Uh, They like to give you whatever they can cut, and they kind of like to give you stuff that doesn't make the cut for uh for cello or or violin or or viola tops you kind of you kind of get stuck with a lower quality so the nice thing about making bass is you can kind of use whatever you want for the back and sides the back and sides aren't really engaged as much as like a a smaller instrument uh i mean it has to be good quality and it has to be aged but it's more about it just looking pretty so i can use slab stuff and i've used all sorts of different uh all sorts of different species for that but the tops really need to be dead on and uh to get your hands on that stuff, you kind of just got to get in the network of people that have the stuff. And, and when it's available, you got to buy up as much as you possibly can, because it's just not available. I mean, it's just super rare to get your hands on. And I've tried cutting my own. I mean, I've cut a few base tops, but most trees that size are, are kind of protected. So uh, you kind of got to go
0: through the, um, uh, I don't know, the necessary chains. Which makes it then expensive and not just because of its size, but you know, you got to, you got a wheel and deal and wheeling and dealing for Tonewood is fun, man. Yeah, I,
3: I dig it. I mean, it's, it's all about, you know, if you got a pile, I mean, I'll, you know, just name your price. I'll buy the pile from you. Um, because, you know, most people just want to buy one at a time and, you know, one at a time is just, uh, you know, it, it's so many phone calls to, for just one sale. It just makes a lot more <laughs> sense to just buy it all up.
0: I recall a a trip a few years ago when I I drove a van with more than a ton of willow that I'd processed myself out to Salt Lake City. And I had a a meeting with uh, all the people. Well, not all the people. A lot of the people at the Salt Lake School, which uh, we were, we missed each other, but we both attended uh, there uh, to show them willow and sell it to them. And Trevor, you showed up in a sprinter and you said, hey, man, what's it going to take to take the whole van load Ooh. off your hands? <laughs> yeah, I mean.
2: Chris, was this your first encounter with Trevor?
0: No, no, okay. no. Trevor and I worked together years ago, and uh, okay. I, I consider him one of the the best living makers. I, I love what he Aww. does. I love his his attitude. Um, I love that he's also a crazy person. Uh,
2: yeah. Okay, yeah. So, you, so you were not completely surprised to see him try to make you bequeath all of your wood?
0: No, I was I was bringing him some willow,
2: but okay. he basically
0: was like, "So how much cash will it take to get me into this sprinter full of willow today?" Nice, nice. And then he gave me some really nice uh, spruce to sweeten the deal. Yeah, I mean
3: it's not all about hoarding. I mean a lot of it's just about you know. I mean it's just this is the right material at the right time, and you know what's. I mean, you don't want to sit there and, and make a million, you know, hundred dollar transactions. I mean, you'd rather just get it all done in one go, and. That being said, selling greenwood's hard too. I mean, it makes it makes more sense to to sell it to somebody who's got the facilities to age it. And then you know, the flip side is, I'm not out to you know, I'm not really looking to resell this stuff. I'm looking to use it all. So anything I don't use, I mean, I'll just I'll sell to other people at cost and and have. Um,
0: yeah, man. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked for years about global warming, the scarcity of materials. And what it means to invest in these materials that are going to be so much scarcer in a few decades. I mean, the the fires right now, the Pacific Northwest and uh, the loss of habitat and old growth trees is it's accelerating at a rate which even I was going to say anti-vaxxers, but let's not be political, can notice. Uh, (laughs) But You know, as the temperatures rise, as tropical pests are traveling north into new territories, and uh, I mean, the old tone wood has gone. The stuff, I can't get good bridges anymore unless I buy antique because Mm. there's no grove on top of a Transylvanian mountain with untouched maples that had to grow 180 feet before they got any light through the canopy. Um, What is it about having the wood that protects you as a maker I mean are, are you it, of course it's fun and of course you want to have it um, I see it also as a stopgap against a world that we're not really ready for that's coming before your and my kids are going to be out of college Well, I think it's a good
3: idea I mean I, I've, I've always intended to have about a 10-year supply ahead of me just so I've got enough to like keep me sustained for the next 10 years and I've got that and a little bit more at this point and and I think that another thing we forget about is I mean, a lot of the stuff that we're taking, and not a lot of it, all of it, it it's dead standing. So we're course. really we're really clearing um, fuel that would normally just go up. I mean, you know, one of these big old sitka spruce, I mean, the trunk's, you know, a 12 foot diameter, it's sitting on its side, it's dry, it's that's the fuel that's gonna keep a, a forest fire going forever. I mean, getting that stuff out of there, uh mm-hmm. and you know, and doing it in a responsible way where you're where you're still leaving a, a habitat and everything for for everybody but i mean as it stands they're just selling off these stands of lumber and uh, and then they, they come in they clear it out and then there's just a bunch of trees left um unprotected and then they fall over and they get knocked down it's it's just uh there's there's smarter ways to handle our forests and uh, it's just not happening right now it's 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 a very archaic system they've got in place and it needs to be revised yeah uh, and mean still then we're gonna have a lot of fires and you know it's yeah. just gonna continue to go on and it's, and it's kind of like both sides are contributing to it. You know, the environmentalists they want to leave too much on the ground. And then, you know, uh, the people want to come in, capitalists want to come in and just cut everything down. And I mean, it's really the happy medium would be to like, you know, let's sell some fire lines.
0: Yeah, you do control burns.
3: Yeah, you know, so instead of like paying for forestry to go in and do it, like, why don't we just sell the trees that are down a fire line so it stops the you know, it's, I mean, it just—it's about responsible
0: management. You know, well, I think that the trees are going to be gone before we come to a place where those two sides can get together and manage responsibly. Like, I, I yeah, unfortunately, uh, it it sucks. Um,
3: do
2: you do you think the same, Trevor?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's. There, I mean, well, you see how polarized you know society is right now. I mean, neither side wants to play, you know, play with each other, and it's it's just crazy because in, in the meantime you know, what's going to happen. I mean, the forests are going to burn and, uh, you know, we're going to waste a bunch of valuable resources. It's, it's very sad.
0: Trevor, I'll play with you if you play with me, but no eye contact. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) All right.
2: Thank you for doing your part to try to find, uh, responsible pieces of wood in the forest. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of that, uh, we really want to explore. So you, you've started over the years organizing your own trips to Colorado to get your own wood. You're not just going to uh, a middleman that's selling us blocks that are ready to go. You're, you're harvesting some of your own wood. Tell us a little bit about how that started for you.
3: Yeah. Well, Alex Curran, he works for, for Joe Curtin and, uh you know they've been using Simeon's wood for a while, and Simeon decided he wasn't going to cut wood anymore. And 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 Joe really uh, encouraged Alex to, to reach out and uh, to to Simeon. And Simeon decided he you know well sure I'll take a bunch of you guys out. So it's turned into a, an annual thing where we all go out there. And uh, we, Simeon was our, our guide for the first couple of years, and then we started doing it on our own. When Simeon decided he he really wants nothing to do with dealing with violin makers because yeah it's, it's just a lot of time on the phone for the guy and, and you know quite frankly, it's not his it's not his bag and I, I don't blame him. I mean, it's difficult. Nobody wants to sit there and talk about a60 dollars top for hours to, to close a deal. It
0: just doesn't make any sense. It's totally brutal. And, and let me interrupt. this is uh, Simeon Chambers. This is his backyard. Uh, he provided mostly Engelman Spruce for years. Uh, it's Engelman in particular is notorious for its light weight versus its stiffness. Um, and he was selling on eBay before eBay became more draconian. Uh he retired from that, then eventually retired from retail sales. And uh uh it's it really was great wood and Simeon knew what he was doing. And I would say that that the guy just uh you know, he he wants to have his hands on stuff more than be doing admin work. So
3: Yeah, the admin stuff was just killing him. So he was a fantastic guy and uh he sort of showed us all the forests where he was initially doing it. He he had to change his model because you're not really allowed to sell the stuff that you cut for firewood permits and stuff like that.
0: With the BLM but, permit, yeah,
3: yeah. So he, he ended up shifting over to uh, to actually harvesting from a uh, uh, a pulp mill, which is it's kind of sad. They're cutting down trees that are the most amazing tone in the world, and they're turning it into like toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> But you know they got the permits and everything, and uh, I mean they're doing it right, and you know he was he was getting it from there. So I mean that's that's if people want to go forward and and you know do what he was doing. You could do that. It's just a hell of a lot of work, and you know he was on site splitting it all by hand. The guy's a, a machine. He's one of the the strongest, toughest dudes I've ever met. But uh, but yeah, we, we've been we've been uh, just going out with the firewood permit. If, if we keep it for ourselves, uh, there's no problem there because you know we could just assume burn it or turn it into a great violin. So that's mm-hmm. what we do and um you burn you know, you get, it get the <laughs> <Yeah>. best <laughs> well you know I, we had that big freeze last last winter here in texas so i was a. Uh, it was really sad it, i hit a point where i was burning my scrap pile and i was looking at my 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 library of books and thinking maybe it's about time i should start burning books instead of this tone wood.
0: <laughs> <'Cause,
3: Fuck.
2: laughs> oh that was such an insane time
0: Trevor, you joined me in Nebraska before I made the big move to DC, and uh, we had some bonfires with what was ostensibly tone wood, like a bunch yep. of strange Caribbean hardwood that would make viola backs. And it's just like, well, I've got this many square feet, and I have three times that many square foot feet of wood. Let's have a bonfire, and it was great. <laughs> Thanks for
3: coming. I mean there's a certain point what are you, what are you going to do with it? I mean that's that's been the big deal. So I've been uh, I've been working as a buyer for Robertson's for their tonewood for a while now and the main the main thing is like am I really going to make an instrument out of this? And that's kind of been like the go-to for like, you know, like the culling process of wood and there was a bunch of stuff that I dragged all over the country. You know, you remember when I was, you know, moved out to New York and then moved out to California yeah, and like yeah. I had to really decide what was worth Keeping and what was worth going, and you know, it, it you know it, it puts a lot into perspective. Like, am I really going to make an instrument out of this? And I think a lot of makers tend to hang on to some stuff that's just not not really worth it, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, agreed. Yeah.
2: And you know what? We didn't cover um, the source of Chris's medical problems. Yeah. We didn't explain that.
0: I I got bit by a spider <laughs> because Trevor put a spider in my pants because he wants me to die.
2: I i think that I think the story is a little different than that.
0: Jacoby, see,
3: Jacoby has a tendency of, um, of hurting people that he hangs out with. He doesn't mean anything by it. Uh-huh. But, uh, Karma said, He should sit on a wood pile in my backyard. And it just so turns out that that's where brown recluse spiders like to hang out. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Karma got him, you know, uh, it's it was a sad thing. We all felt bad for him. Um, but uh, you know the spider. The spider knew that it was his time, and the spider. It was really the spider. Died. Yeah,
0: the spider died. The spider lived, I think. You didn't the kill spider, the spider. The spider died.
3: I Chris, why him. do
2: you why do you think um, this karma was visited to you?
0: Um, because I, I had to drink soup for a couple weeks.
3: Trevor jumped
0: on. Trevor jumped on my back. Okay. And I ran around in a circle, and then he got off, and I jumped on his back, and he folded like a cheap mattress. Okay. And I I weigh a lot and I'm sorry. And Trevor hurt his hand and jaw. And then we went to the hospital, and it was all very sad, and I'm still sorry. And the okay. nurse said, Was drinking involved? <laughs> <laughs> no. I just dude, I just uh I just sold a violin. That night, I think I gave a $100 bill to a homeless man. There was some drinking. There was some drinking.
2: There
0: was some drinking. (laughs) Okay.
2: Okay. All right. So I would love to be painted a picture of what it's like to take this trip. Like, uh, tell me as much as you can about the location you go to, who you're staying with, uh, what it's like to get up in the morning in a place that's not Texas, Tell me this world.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, we all drive out. Uh, we make plans months in advance, and uh, we drive out to the super remote, se- top-secret location mm-hmm. at about 10,000-foot elevation. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, I, I usually bring the whole kitchen assembly. Uh, Alex Wilson helps a little bit. Um, not a little bit. He helps a lot. But uh, um, we, we all we set up camp uh, under the stars. Uh, it's usually about usually about, you know, eight or 10 of us. And, uh, day one, we set up camp. We, we do a lot of cooking, um, uh, get, get sort of an idea where we're going to go. We, we've got places scattered from the year before at this point. Um, day two, we go out and that's our main like hunting day. Like we know the spots we're going to check out. We know where we're looking to go. We're trying to find, we're trying to find uh, locations where there's no wind and there's not a hill. We're looking for ridges at high elevations with no wind.
2: And why is that?
3: Well, so the wind blows the trees from side to side and it'll cause them to twist. And we don't want any twist in the tree. We want it to go nice and straight. And we also, if it grows on a, on a, on a hill, it'll be an oblong, uh, sort of ovoid sort of shape uh, to the trunk, where there'll be more stress on the side that's uphill than the side that's downhill. And we we pretty much want it to be flat, which is kind of a hard thing to find when you're in the mountains. You know, it's there's not a lot of flat spaces, so we're looking for a flat spot for the trees to grow. And then we want them to also um, have limbs that hang, you know, 360 around, so there's an e- equal amount of uh, of weight distribution on, on the trunk. Mm. Um, and you know, y- you'll find these trees, and they're just perfect, and they'll be like side by side, and you'll find like you know, like 20 of them side by side, and you know, they, they need to be dead standing, of course. Um, and then it's just a question of like, you know, um, you know, shoot and release, you know, we, we, we cut down a bunch of them and we see which ones are just look good on the inside. And then it's a lot of, uh, essentially we try to cut, like this has been our our latest thing. Uh, we cut uphill. This has been an innovation that I brought about. This is my, my contribution to the wood trip is cutting uphill so we can roll the logs downhill. And that was very controversial amongst the group. And, um, Uh, it's, uh, it's, I think everybody's now on board because it's, it's so much more work to carry stuff uphill and, you know, they're heavy. So, um, and then we, we, we split them back at camp and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, we got well over maybe 250 tops this last time. Uh, Mm. it's unbelievably high quality. I mean, there's so many gold medal winning, you know, violin makers have used this wood and and won awards at VSA with this stuff. It's just it's just the ultimate low density, um, super great sounding tone wood, and and we're just getting it, you know, for twenty bucks we get 250 250 tops. It's just amazing. Well, you just described the
2: most um exhilarating hunting story I've ever heard.
0: And we're all naked too, so I mean it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean you you just told the story of of yeah for for the cost of the seeds i grew this brilliant tomato it cost me two cents but that's an 85 dollar tomato you took yeah. your ass you know a thousand miles and brought a bunch of food and i know that you guys have to bring you know at least four hundred dollars worth of light beer <laughs> so yeah exactly it's still worth it but uh it's not a twenty
3: dollar trip we brought so much whiskey this last time that uh, we went whitewater rap- rafting in the last day. Cause we, we got enough wood in the first two days. We we had slush time, which is great. So we went whitewater rafting and then we just like tipped out these uh, raft guides and all this like whiskey and they just <laughs> They just thought it was the greatest thing you in the were world speaking their language. And we were like we were like why do we bring so much whiskey? Like cuz we're old enough to afford it now and we're not we're too we're too old to drink it.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's great. So you you've got 250 tops. How do you get them off the mountain?
3: Well, so so Ryan Ryan Hayes he he's got uh, he's got this awesome hookup on us this amazing Hemi uh, Dodge that like I mean none of us are like truck guys until we're up in the mountains and then we're all like man I wish I was a truck guy and then Ryan. <laughs> Ryan throws down with his truck. That's just amazing. Uh, it's his uh, father-in-law's, but his father-in-law's a badass. And, uh... He is that. Yeah, he's got, like, a bunch of, like, great steel chainsaws and, uh... And this amazing 4x4. Four four. So we're able to get it down and then to the camp. And then from the camp, uh, you know, Alex has a nice trailer. Um, it's just about, you know, any way we can get this thing, get it all back. Uh, uh, last year was kind of bad. Uh, Alex, Alex Wilson, I shouldn't tell the story, but it's, uh, he ended up trashing his F one hundred and fifty up there. He, he got a crack in the oil pan, oh, and man. it yeah. His truck died on the trip. And uh, rest in peace, because oh. that was a uh, that was a very sad um, sad moment. It shows the sacrifice we're willing to make. To get-
0: <laughs> but
3: I know when he's listen- he's going to listen to this, and he's it's just going to like it's going to hurt a little bit. And um, uh, it's just it's it's just to show uh, the dedication. Yeah.
2: Pour one out for that track. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, um, let's move on to some trivia, Trevor. I mean, I really feel like you're doing great, big guy. You're natural. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty sleepy, man. I haven't I haven't I haven't been sleeping. Uh, yeah. Tell us about Iris. Yeah, how's the baby and how's Angela?
3: Iris is amazing, and Angela thankfully is is mending is well. Hallelujah. Uh it was a rough recovery, but she's she's good now. Um you've got
2: about a one week old at home
3: she's one week old uh yep uh it's she's amazing I never thought I would love being a dad this much and I totally love it it's just like the most amazing thing ever
2: oh congratulations
3: That's great, but there is no sleep yeah <laughs> no. and I feel like I've been preparing for this at, like Oberlin and like VSAs and like ISBs like I, I, I'm <laughs> like, staying up really really late and waking up really really early <laughs> and it's a lot like that only without the hangover
0: so um, <laughs> well and you don't get that 3 day period afterwards where you sleep a little too much. It's just constant.
3: Yep, yeah. yeah, that's not I haven't hit that yet, so it's coming.
2: I, <laughs> I was guess. I was talking to Chris before you hopped on about just that that first week and how everything is so new and fragile. Uh I had never encountered um having to care for something so delicate all the time. Uh and then <sighs> Yeah, it's just, it's so much new all at once. So you're, you're having that week. Oh, my goodness.
0: Well, I had a Tamagotchi in the 90s, so <laughs> I was ready. So You, prepared. Should, have, you should have invested. Uh, Trevor Davis. Yes, sir. Trivia. Yep. What invention was key in the loss of the last of the old growth Tonewood Groves? Not a joke, but we'll accept joke answers. A choker? I don't know. The tank tread, invented in Stockton, California, before World War I. You've seen uh, Peter Prier's pictures, maybe. He was still at the school when I was a student, of his wood dealer with the tank dragging the maples behind it and the guys on the tank with their AK-47s helping get Tonewood and Peter next to it with his hand up.
2: What are they doing with the AK 47s? Uh
0: protecting against people or, I want to make a bad joke. Yeah, they're <laughs> protecting against people that would poach wood. That's a, you know, eighty dollars tree. But the tank tread meant that there was no grove that was barred to a vehicle big enough to get up there. It doesn't matter what the incline is. I feel like chokers should have counted a little bit, but.
3: (laughs) They're back in style now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not not that type of choker, but yeah.
2: (laughs) What's the funniest thing that's happened to you when you're harvesting? Fart
0: in a pine cone, put
3: it in the fire. (laughs) I mean, the funniest thing that's happened when harvesting wood, I mean.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got to think about this um it's it's always for me when i was harvesting wood let me just be rude and say it's like when i almost kill myself felling trees and then something small happens and i'm like oh god thank god (laughs) you almost die when you're felling trees
3: well it just happens this was i mean this wasn't funny but it is a good story i mean it's kind of funny but it's not funny for paul hart but paul hart we we went up towards the end of the season uh with paul hart it was a Paul Spencer, uh, Alex Wilson, myself, um, and Paul Hart. We went up there, and we took his little uh, Ford Ranger truck, one of those 90s ones, you know, like the classic Ford Ranger. Yeah. And we drive up to the top of the mountain on the top of the Walsatch Plateau, and we find a tree big enough for bases. And for octabases. We mm. proceed to cut this thing down, and I say we, it was really Paul Hart. Uh, he's got a 24-inch bar in this thing, and it's a huge trunk i mean maybe 40 inches across you know it takes about an hour to, to cut the thing down and the thing is is that it just it just starts snowing like crazy when we're up there and it was beautiful <laughs> it's like the first snow of like autumn and it was just gorgeous uh and you know we, we slowly but surely get the thing down and we're we're cutting it up and, and it's they're heavy because you were cutting like literally base chunks of wood out of this thing so they're really big splits and we got to get it up this snowy hill. I mean, again, <laughs> we're, we're cutting downhill of the site. That's why I'm such a proponent of cutting uphill. So uh, we're we're hauling these things up and we're sliding and slipping around and like we're, you know, like cutting our own path and everything. And, you know, long story short, we end up we get the trailer loaded up behind his Ford Explorer and everything like that. But the Ford Ranger, it's just a rear wheel drive. We had to leave it there. And the, the poor the poor truck had to stay there for sixteen weeks, maybe maybe longer, stuck oh, at the top of the mountain, just buried, just <sighs> buried in snow uh, at a high elevation, and uh, he didn't. And you're anything. like, thanks, Paul. For the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like four or five months. Till he got his truck back, and and as it was, I mean, he had to literally go up. Uh, he's an ultra marathoner, so he he had to literally run up the mountain. I didn't mean, have to run. I guess he could have walked, but he, but he wanted-
0: did. <laughs> he's
3: yeah, all he had to run up the mountain and uh, and get his truck. And then he said it was like the most sketchy, like getting that thing down. It was like literally just sliding it down like an icy trail the entire way back. It was just a an absolute mess. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a pretty uh, pretty heinous one.
0: I remember I, I came out and worked for you twice the year after uh, after you went on your first wood trip with Paul Hart, and he'd just, like, text you in the middle of the week and be like, hey, the handle on my sledgehammer is still messed up. What are you going to replace that? And you're like, Paul, next time I'm in Utah, I swear, I'm so sorry about your hammer. And he's like, yeah, still splintered. Trevor. Aww. <laughs> I've, I've, I've delivered him a couple a couple <laughs> handles uh, yeah it's um, I'm not pretending I'm good at it. I just thought it was funny because like out of a clear sky he'd like write you like hammers still broken yeah <laughs> yeah yep. well, you get ambitious you know that was I don't
3: know if you're you probably don't remember Ryan's bachelor party. Um, oh yeah I do but uh, when everybody was sleeping in the next day after I woke up at 6 a.m. On two hours of sleep and drove down to uh, Mount Pleasant with Robert Dow, and we proceeded to cut down some trees and uh, we got Dow. We got three trucks stuck in the mud where we had to spin them three sixty on their axis coming down. and I would say, that also helped prepare me for having a child because uh, having a child is so much easier than cutting down trees on two hours of sleep after partying after a bachelor party. That was a pretty epic party.
0: You're like, Angela, we have to spin Iris 360 degrees on her axle.
3: I guess, I guess 180 degrees, right? Yeah. 360
0: would have been, that would have been a little much. So what's the scariest thing that's happened while harvesting? Scariest thing? Uh, well, you know what? I,
3: I typically don't take the trees myself. Uh, I, I've I've cut down a couple of them, and I, I gotta say, every time uh, I, I I practiced taking a tree on my own, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna let somebody else do this. Um, so you just
0: let Alex do it. <laughs>
3: uh, I, you know, between Alex and Ryan, there's a lot of energy there that um, they. They've got, I mean, you know, they've got that masculine. I've got enough masculine energy. I don't need any more to do this stuff. Like, they can do this. And also, every time I do these wood trips, I'm like, you know what? I'm totally willing to pay for wood. Like, I see how hard this is. Uh, I I gladly pay for wood. I don't overpay for wood, but I gladly pay for wood because it's just it's just hard work, man. I mean, it's just I'd rather.
0: I like I'd, it.
3: Yeah, I'm, I I oh love day. doing the work, but I mean, it's—I uh, don't know—it's—it's—it's it's, it's worth every penny. I mean, it's—it's it's mm-hmm. just hard work.
0: Mm-hmm. I had a totally straight, totally normal tree out of the wind, come down once, and then start to twist slightly, and then the trunk bursts like if you twist a piece of dry bamboo. Oh no as if it was exploded outward but it kept these strips and a chunk of the sycamore tree knocked me down and i was out for a second and like there was no indication what's it like i i made a back cut and i put a car jack into the side where i wanted it to fall the other way like it the, the whole process was fairly textbook and the trunk turned a few degrees and popped Oh, it was it it it, uh, it it definitely put some of the the fear of Mother Nature back into me.
3: Mm. Oh, so this this was a rad thing. I want want to mention this. This you can't cut this one out. Dan Gillespie's uh, cousin came out with us. Uh, he's the it, new teacher at the the Chicago school and all, and he's he's a great maker and all. Uh, his cousin came out. He's actually part of like the Forest Service, uh, it, just right out there in, in in Colorado. He came with us with a 120 year old uh, buck saw and. Uh, with this last trip, we uh, I, I got to take down a tree by hand, and nice that was amazing, and it was cool to do it with the guy from the forestry service. Because I mean, he just he's done this like there's a, a bunch of places where they're not allowed to use chainsaws, so like he, you have to use this saw. So he he just knows this saw like in and out. It gets this custom sharpening <laughs> bit, and uh, uh, so we we took this tree down, and, and oh my god, what an amazing experience! Uh, I I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed the chainsaw experience, but I mean it, it was probably because, I mean, you know, he's a seasoned pro and, you know, it's a long ass saw. And then by the time you get to actually take it down, you're actually just shoving wedges in. You've already made your, you're not. Yeah,
0: yeah. You wait for the creeks.
3: Yep. Exactly.
2: Well, okay. So you guys talking about the scarier part of it, Trevor, do you plan to continue doing this for the foreseeable future?
3: Oh yeah. This will be a, leir- a yearly trip for sure. I mean, uh, I, I, I plan on doing this, in perpetuity, I got a couple of people up in in uh, Alaska. Actually, uh, Gwai-ha- what's it? What's it? I can't remember what it's called. Uh,
2: okay.
3: it's in uh, British Columbia. But I mean, you know, they're, that's where they're actually getting these Sitkas, and uh, I've offered to go out and um, you know buy not not only buy wood from these people, but actually go out and and help them harvest it because I want to be part of the experience because mm-hmm. it's just it's so amazing. But I mean. That's pretty intense because it's so wet and these trees are like, it's a 12 foot diameter, um, you know, trunk. I mean, it's, Dang. it's just a huge tree. So you're and sitting you're, there. And you're felling
0: it in a rainforest.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. covered yeah. in ferns and in moss and everything's slick and it's slippery. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an amazing experience. And, and I'm I, so turned on right <laughs>
1: now.
3: Yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so cool. I mean, it, and it's just, spectacular so I mean that's that's definitely in the plans and then so is also you know getting some maple and um... I gotta
0: say I have had the best experiences with traditional tone tonewood uh, Dr. Reinhardt Zach uh, has sold me uh, basically a few quilted pear trees and then I've gotten some willow from them as well and uh, it is a touch more expensive for stuff, which is quotidian that we see all the time. Um, but if you're looking for a smaller operation, the way that like, if you called up bat and kill or Orcas Island, they'll tell you exactly who it came from, when it was cut, whose collection it was from and where it came back to uh, European. And you, you can't get the same stuff domestically, but Dr. Reinhardt Zach um, has been, really great and if uh shipping wasn't so much um having had the same experiences you've had Trevor where it's just like oh god this wood comes from anywhere and you just buy it so it doesn't get turned into veneer which is going to go on chinese furniture you know not that there's anything wrong with that uh <laughs> but i i told i dig traditional tone wood and i hope people support them mm-hmm because uh, they have been fantastic the quality of their stuff you know we're, we're talking about split and stuff like when I get a package of, they did not pay me for this folks you can cut this if you want But <laughs> okay. when I get a package of wood from them like I can't find fault with it there's mm. no run out there's no problem uh, and I, I really appreciate them one thing I've been lucky enough to do is use
3: a bunch of different species of wood. I've used the uh, poplar i've used willow i've used cherry i've used uh you know i mean walnut well that's the one i haven't used because i don't like mahogany. The way it, i don't like the way it looks under varnish <laughs> i've used ash i've used mahogany yeah I've, I've used a bunch of different stuff uh um and it, you know it's it's been very it's very cool uh and and fun to do all these things and it's one thing you don't get to do as a violin maker and uh i guess Bullshit. It, i just wanted to brag love it no i feel like it it doesn't doesn't form quite a bit about you know the role of the back and size in an instrument and i I feel like your ribs i don't know i don't know it doesn't matter it's it's uh it's been it's been it's been very informative to to the making process you know
0: yeah
2: trevor yes how much tonewood do you plan to leave in your will to your daughter iris
3: Oh, and my daughter. I mean, I, I, I'm I, going to like, it's kind of funny. People are like, you know, like, oh, Trevor's going to buy all the tools and shit. And like, I'm, I'm actually, I'm done buying tools. I'll probably perpetually buy. Nobody asked you about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'll probably perpetually buy tone Uh, But, you know, if, you know, when the will situation comes up. I mean, I'll probably leave it all to like you know, like VMSA or or something like that. I mean, I'll I'll oh, or nice. ISB or something like that. I mean, I'll probably donate all of it because it's it's really hard to put a value on. Like, I'm all about like buying it at the lowest price I can and trying to get the best deal I can. Do you think that's financially sound? <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean it's worth more as an instrument than it's ever going to be worth as like,
2: so like more than anything you want to make sure it ends up in the right hands.
3: Yeah. In the right hands or in the hands of people that are going to like, you know, appreciate and everything like that. I mean, it's yeah. I don't want it to. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I would sooner see it all get donated. Same with all my tools. I'd, I'd rather just, it all get donated and uh, you know, but I mean, you know, that's, this is some bullshit. Leave it to me. Yeah. You know I'm going to die before everyone else, so just leave it to me. Yeah, well, that's just it, man. I mean, if I thought you'd be alive... You
0: know? <laughs> Wait, I just turned 40. Did you think I was going to be alive? No, Surrey, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going the distance, baby. I'm going to be 120 cussing at all of y'all.
2: Congratulations on making it to 40. I'm, Thanks, I am don't think I officially... Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Thanks. proud of you. <laughs>
0: Thank you. I feel like you're proud of me.
2: I am. (laughs) I I think you're so much wiser now.
0: Do you you actually feel better for
3: somebody being proud of you for being 40?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) Oh, man. So uh, Chris Ulbricht and John Thorell and Robert Wood uh, met me in the South Carolina wilderness to go swimming and dig for... Megalodon teeth and 20-million-year-old croc teeth and all these amazing fossils. And Ulbricht looked at me on after we'd been in the creek all day, and he's like, it happened fast. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, two years ago, Chris, man, we passed a tree. You were climbing that bitch. You were halfway <laughs> up it. You were swinging from it, cat calling people and uh, I was hobbling around my left knees out my right hips out (laughs) like it's seriously like so the the day I turned 30 I was like I'm no longer interested in strange women and I like creamy peanut butter not crunchy (laughs) and the day I turned 40 I was like I need a cane
2: oh (laughs) my joints my joints (laughs) you need that glucosamine supplement that that helps a ton stop
0: speaking Spanish you're bad at it
3: (laughs) You've got to, a, a, I, I see a, like a Steve Irwin fate in the crystal ball. Oh,
0: thanks, big guy. <laughs> You're going to stab me right in the heart when I find a better spruce tree than you. <laughs> well, Trevor, I just love you the most, man. And mm. I'm so happy for you about Iris. And uh, we got to have you on the show more often, all right? Oh, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate you.
3: You know, you guys are always welcome on the Spruce Trip. Always. Um, God, please have me on the Spruce Trip. Just, but to, Whatever you know, way you'll take me. You know, you gotta know your own limits, too. So. What? Nobody... You
2: might, you might be get trip.
0: hurt. Other people get hurt. That's the problem with me being placed. There are spiders out there. you. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That spider is still hospitalizing me two years later, man. Uh, <laughs> it's sad. It's very sad.
2: Oh. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I I always felt like there was an air of mystery on the people that go and find this wood for us. And thank you for taking us on your journey just a little bit tonight.
0: Rosie, do your yeah. best bird call. Oh, That was not a bird. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Omo.
2: Good night, everybody.
1: Omo is an all-luthier podcast produced by Rosie Deloach, Chris Jacoby, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples, music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us at mail at omopod.com or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening.